Welcome to Thinking Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a better better global society. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Nifemi Oguntoye. Well, the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence is on around the world um, till 10th December, I believe. We're also hoping that um, the conversation will last beyond that. Well, this year marks the 30th anniversary of the Global 16 Days Campaign uh, inspired, I believe, by the vision to eradicate violence against women across board. Uh, the global theme for this year is Orange the World and Violence Against Women Now. And we're looking forward to a very robust conversation on this podcast. We have titled this one, When the Women Stop Crying. And it's an international panel that I have on this one, Dr. Brenda Manuel, an administrator student unit, uh, Los Angeles Unified School District is joining us from the United States. Um, uh, Ms. Brenda King, MBE trustee, AC Diversity uh, is joining us from Maryland, um, from the US, the US, I believe, or rather the United Kingdom, I beg your pardon and Mrs. Ungozi Aze Ashe is joining us from US. Dr. Abba is joining us from somewhere around the world. She calls it a secret location. Uh, we probably will get her to reveal our location in the course of this conversation. But let's begin with a video from Dr. Abba, uh, where she talked passionately about the 16 days of activism, uh, what we should be talking about um, the issue of human rights for the female gender and relevant issues. 30 years ago, the 16 days of activism was initiated. Today, we recognize the significance of the campaign to eradicate all forms of violence against women and children by instituting actionable measures and accountability to ensure security equality, work and financial resources, as well as health and well-being for these vulnerable groups. What we know now is it cannot be a case of tokenism or promotional agenda, as to do so would result in the eradication of a viable, essential and contributory force for social relevance and development. Impunity and bias can no longer be the modus operandi for addressing the appalling disregard of the rights of women and girls who continue to be marginalized globally. The advancement of women's rights, equality and equity are critical for the fullest development of a human being and their ability to contribute to humanity. Living in fear 
our state of neglect is inhumane and unjust. And all stakeholders must actively participate and commit to mitigating these issues in their homes, community, workplace, and globally. The pandemic has removed the veil of secrecy and shame which women have endured for centuries to show the ugly underbelly of inequality, poverty, insecurity, and disruption for the other 50%. As a woman who has experienced her share of violence, I stand today to lend my voice to the platform for change. Change for the betterment of society. Change for our children and grandchildren and future generation who must receive a legacy of equity, equality, respect, and natural abundance. We cannot remain a statistic. Thus, we must take our seat at the table and expand the table to include our benches to voice our stand for our viability, our recognition, and our contribution to our families, community, the global economy, and the society at large. I invite women and girls, men and boys, of all generations who have experienced violence to share their stories. Speak up, empower yourselves and others through education and awareness. Believe the survivors and take a stand with them to advocate. Let us address the cause of this shadow pandemic and find applicable solutions. We must adopt and enforce policies and laws to maintain equality and implement sustainable programs through untainted accountability. Today is a new day, a new beginning towards our collective role as stakeholders to be accountable for the rights of our daughters, our sisters, aunties, and mothers, and to advocate for equality for all, regardless of gender, age, physiological differences, sexual orientation, or socioeconomic status. Dr. Amer, Executive Director, Leave Abundantly, and Executive Producer of the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I think that is very important. She joins us also on this conversation, on this particular episode. So it's an all-woman affair, if you will count me out. And I don't think there's a better team <laughs> to discuss this. But I'll begin for the benefit of our listeners and everyone viewing this live on YouTube. I'd like to introduce my panelists to you. Um, my panel today is rich in experience and education, in achievement and what have you. Let's begin with Dr. Brenda Manuel, who's a researcher, a professional developer, educational consultant, and adjunct professor, board member for the Wilders Preparatory Academy Charter School and Chicago School of Psychology. For over 40 years, Dr. Brenda Manuel has been involved in education at many levels. And I can go on and on, but she's currently um, the administrator over the Student Empowerment Unit of the Division of Instruction within the Los Angeles Unified School District. Dr. Marlo, it's a privilege to have you on this one. How are you today, by the way? 
I am doing very well. Thank you for inviting me to participate. I look forward to our our dialogue and our discussion. You're welcome. Miss Brenda King is a member of the Order of the British Empire, trustee of the AC Diversity for over 15 years. She's overseen the successful delivery of a youth development program within the UK, using volunteer mentors from multinational firms to support Black British pupils from the state school sector aged 14 to 18. And a success in getting young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into further education, valued apprenticeships and higher education resulted in our receiving national recognition for our pioneering work uh, with an MBA awarded by the Queen and an honorary degree from our alma mater, the Warwick University. Mace Brenda King. Um, you know how we greet King here at uh, King's here in Yoruba? We say Kabiesi. Have you heard of that before? <laughs> Kabiesi. <laughs> Good to have you, Miss King. Thank you so it's much. It's a real for pleasure us. to be here. Thank you. All right. Uh, we also have uh, joining this conversation at this time is Mrs. Ngozi Eze Ashi. She began a successful career in the non-governmental sector over 30 years ago. She's an administrative officer at the International Committee of the Red Cross, ICRC, and thereafter served as the pioneer program assistant at the Ford Foundation's office in West Africa. In 1999, she founded Development Alternatives and Resource Center, the DARC, to serve as a platform to strengthen and build NGO management and programming capacities. And um, she just recently, I believe, joined the prestigious Leave Abundantly as a trustee. Macy's Aziashi, glad to have you on this one. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Dr. Amma needs no introductions. I'm going to skip us. <laughs> of course, Executive Director Leave Abundantly, Executive Producer of the prestigious Think and Reimagine, just passionate about, you know, development. And she's she's done a beat, she keeps doing it uh, for uh, I mean, I have I have I've known Dr. Dr. Amma for a, a, a while now and I'm just waiting for a passion to dwindle, but it does get some bigger and bigger, by the way. Dr. Abba, thank you for all that you do. And we are so grateful. Let us begin now. And I would like to very quickly begin this conversation with our dear, just guys, I think I have an issue with my device, but I'll fix that in a moment. And by guys, I mean, I meant ladies. So don't have my head yet. So glad. I'm so glad you corrected <laughs> yourself, Nifemi. We're not guys, <laughs> ladies. Thank you. All right. So let us begin very quickly. And I like to uh, begin this conversation with Dr. Manuel. Dr. Manuel, you have an impressive career for over 40 years, I mean, we're gonna talk about that in a short while, but how do you think the social cultural environment where you are has evolved as regards the subservience of the female gender? Hmm, <laughs> what a question. 
And um, yes, I, I, I've been doing this quite a while. I started when I was very young, uh, barely out of diapers. So uh, <laughs> that kind of tells you the, uh, the career. <laughs> but I think that, um, that we have evolved somewhat uh, but not to the place where we would like to be. Um, I think that it takes the ones who are out ahead of the, the younger ones to continue to forge ahead and lead the way and be the role models and, and be the encouragement for the ones that are coming behind us. We as women have to be there and help to lift that next generation up over and above us and provide them with all the strategies and learnings that we have um, that we have accomplished and learned over the years. I think that like history and society, we, ebb, we go forward and backwards. We take some steps forward and then we take steps backward. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I think that we have to all keep working at it, keep motivating our, our young women and um, making sure that they have all of the strategies and, and the resources and things that they need to be successful. So I'm gonna stop there. Um, I also just follow up very quickly. So the perception has always been that if we can get women to think of themselves, who they really are, not to be subservient to the other sex, if we can educate them properly to understand that they carry the same capacity as the man, and then uh, it would automatically result into, you know, a better life, particularly as regards to what many women suffer in terms of gender-based violence. Do you think that has been the situation? Um, I think we all have to learn how to work together um, in partnership. Um, no one should be better than anyone, you know, especially if we are working as a society, as a couple, as a, uh, you know, united groups. I, I think we have to learn how to work together, how to lift each other up, how to bring out the best in each person, the strengths um, and, and the goodness. Um, and um, I, I think we all have to respect each other um, men and women, um, and uh, so that we all can thrive and, and be just the best human being. We all have gifts. God has given us gifts, and he has given us the wherewithal to, um, to bring forth those gifts. And uh, anyone who stands in the way of, of, of someone uh, um, using their gifts in, in, in you know, exercising their gifts will, will not prosper. So um, I think we all have to learn how to, you know, exist in this world and uh, bring out the best in each of us and lead with our, with our heart and our humanity and our godliness. Uh, given your experience in the education sector, would you say that um, watching um, young girls in school um, going through um, the proper education structure, uh, structure rather, has that in any way impacted uh, positively on that equality and can-do mindset? 
I, I think it has. I'd like to think so, you know, spending all of these years doing this work. My whole unit, um, and it's named um, Empowerment, because I am about empowering young people, especially young women. And, and there's a difference between engaging somebody um, and empowering them. Empowering them is that you are providing them with the strength to do what they need to do. You know, um, you are giving them what they need to do so that, and, and building them up. Because many times I think that there's, um, you know, there's some self-esteem issues. There's some, you know, lack of courage within yourself. And you need somebody to undergird you. You need somebody to be there. You need somebody to help prop you up. You need somebody to give you those good words, those encouraging words. You need somebody that you can look at and say, ooh, I wanna, I, I like what they're doing. I see their light, I see it shining. I, what, I wanna know more. I wanna be like that. I wanna do that. So I think being that shining light, being that role model, being that example, it, uh, they, everyone knows that it's not what I say, but it's what I do. So they look, because mm. many children look at more so what you do than what you say. So I try to live what I say and live, you know, um, that kind of life that um, they can examine it wholly. Because young people, they will work with you and do when they feel that they're respected, that they're heard that you understand, but yet I have very high standards and I want them to, to learn how to navigate these systems and to be successful. So I think that um, my work and it will be, um, continue to be my work is to power, empower young people to be able to use their voice to be able to um, exercise that voice in a, in a manner that they're heard and mm. to get a pathway of where they would like to go and then help them navigate those systems to get to their end goal of um, a wonderful, happy, peaceful, healthy, well, um, spiritual life. I'll get back to you shortly, Dr. Emanuel, and we'll probably will talk about how that empowerment has helped women in the face of um, violence and the rest. But let me get to Ms. King. I'm tempted to ask you uh, what it means to be, or how it feels to be a member <laughs> of the, uh, you know what I'm talking about, member of the Order of the British Empire. But I'm going to um, fight that temptation to just get down to the issues. So according to WHO, um, globally, there's about one out of three women who have been subjected to either physical or sexual intimate partner violence. It would appear that some women stopped crying and started speaking out and demanding justice. But how far do you think that has gone in reducing gender-based violence? Well, at least um, women speaking out, we know there is a problem. And I, I was with an EU institution for 18 years. And one of the things that comes as a surprise is um, how universal violence against women is. It could be in Nigeria, it could be in Finland and Sweden who are known to have the most progressive laws 
in terms of gender equality, you know, women in the workplace, etc. But when it comes to, you know, violence against women, the statistics tends to be universal, no matter where that, that is. So um, I agree with Dr. Emmanuel that, you know, we, we have to um, encourage girls and we, we, we have to empower them again, but we have to do something about our boys. And um, I like the theme, you know, when women stop crying. And the reason why I like this theme, because as children, I think girls are allowed to show their, their, the full range of their emotions. If they're happy, they can laugh. If they're upset, they can cry. If they're angry. But with boys, it's less so because when a boy cries, he is discouraged and can even be accused of being weak. Yes? So there is pressure on boys to be seen to be strong. And it's easier to be strong against people who are physically weaker than you. So I think this is something societal that we need to address. Um, so this is something I, I feel um, you know, uh, uh, quite st strongly about. And this, you know, you mentioned about subservient to males. I was at, Bar my parents are from Barbados. I did my secondary schooling in Barbados. And there was a reception at the, 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 the Barbados High Commission Ambassador. He had a reception in London to mark the independence. And I met two boys who I went to school with and one of them was telling his wife how I was a pioneer. Now, you know, it's not that I've forgotten about it. It's been so long ago, but the reason he mentioned it is that I did my A-level 16 to 18 at a boys' school. Mm. I went to the convent, I got good results, could go to the school, but the school didn't allow girls to do science subjects, maths, you know, the sciences, et cetera, which I had wanted to do. And my dad was adamant I would do it, but so was the mother superior at the convent. So I was saying to them, well, at the time, it was my worst summer because every day during the summer, my dad and mother superior will meet up in the morning and plan their strategy for me to get into that school doing science and math subjects every day. So that's how my day started. And they either went to the school, they wrote letters, they contacted the Ministry of Education. And it was only, and you know, I had long given up, but it was on the last Friday, it was the Friday before school started on Monday that the school called to say, okay, we will let her do, you know, the sciences. And the reason why they called me a pioneer was the year after that, then there was no problem with girls coming in to do sciences and maths. But, but could you see the struggle, you know, that a 16 year old, well, mainly my dad and mother superior had to go through to make a change in that school, because that's the, the top school um, in the island. So females, we, we really have to fight, even though the, the structures are in place to get that equality. And you mentioned something about girls in school. I can't speak for Nigeria, but in the UK, they do league tables, you know, 16 and 18 in terms of exams. 
and they break it down by ethnicity and thing. But one thing is consistent. On average, girls perform better than boys in education. So it's not a case. It, yeah, there may be uh, reasons why they're not doing certain subjects. And I, could, and I just gave you an experience of my experience, but girls do better than boys educate. And this is across all you know, nationalities or ethnicities. So we have to ask ourselves if they're doing so well, what happens to them once they get into the workplace? I mean, I mean, fantastic question you've asked. And um, yes. I also love your submission as regards paying attention to the boy child. I mean, it, I mean, just last, last we talked about why men should cry on this platform. And um, we had some men on to talk about um, these issues of, um, you know, just boxing in your emotions because you're a man. Yeah. But let me just ask you, um, because of your, um, um, you are a black woman, mm -hmm. and um, I believe that we share that um, African origin. Um, yeah. Let's talk about um, the um, the cultural and religious pressure on yeah. women to speak out. You know, in cases of um, so, so a woman can be doing fantastically well in her career. But then, you know, back at home in Africa, there's that expectation that she must have, a, she must be successful back at home. Yeah. I mean, and many people would just hide on that. I mean, kill and die under that pressure just to keep face the home. My marriage is working and, and you know, stuff like that. Yes. What is your experience, you know, over there with yeah. issues like this and how are Black women overcoming that challenge? Okay. Well, one thing we, we like to say when we're in you know, women networks is that you know, we're getting more equality in the workplace, but we're not getting you know, the same sort of equality in the home. So, and, and I think as Dr. Alma uh, has mentioned, this has really, a light has really been shone on this during the lockdown. So you're responsible for the childcare, you're responsible for the cooking, making sure the house is clean, etc., um, and yes, more men are contributing. But the data shows that the burden is still very much on women. So you're quite right. So you could be successful in the work, it going up and up, but at home you still respond. I, I give an example. Not a woman. I went to university with someone. She's a very successful dentist. She got a dental practice in Harley Street. She was complaining about, you know, having to balance. And I said, you? I mean, cause you know, she, she, she married someone very well off and you know, they, they had four children. And when I go to see them, you know, they, they have like daytime nanny, evening nannies and weekend nannies. So I'm thinking, you know, you know, what problems could you possibly have? And she told me she has to coordinate all of it. So yes, you know, it looks like she's doing well, but she has to do the recruitment. She has to do the scheduling, I think, as well as having the successful dental practice where she has to recruit and coordinate the staff there as well. So there's two sets of um, coordination for the household. So, so it's quite interesting that even though she's getting the help, um, she has to coordinate that assistance to help mm -hmm. her to be able to do her job. 
Um, now, being a black woman in a, in a, in a country that's, you know, who, well, let's be, be fair, where a lot of institutions don't have high regard um, for black people. You know, there's a lot of data showing how we come out. So, I mean, one shocking statistic is that if you are a black woman and you go into the NHS, National Health Service, to have a child, you're, you and your baby are five times more likely than a white woman to die, you know, through that childhood. And you think, oh, now to me, I think that's bad enough. But what I think is worse is that the NHS have known this for about um, seven, eight years. And there is not a target, there is no, because when there's a problem, you say, oh gosh, that's a problem. Let's put some action in to address the problem. And that hasn't been done. I mean, how could that be? You know, how could that be possible? I mean, because I'm sure it was the other way around, something will be done. So yes, so I'm, a, I'm well aware um, of some of the challenges that we face um, as black women, it, whether it be um, in terms in the workplace or the services that we're supposed to receive. Absolutely. Let me bring in very quickly uh, Mrs. Aze Ashi on this one. I, I'd like you to talk to us. Um, um, you have heard them speak about the challenge of being a Black woman. Um, the world is full of reports. Just last month, we saw hundreds of people join the Day of Dead Women uh, protest in Mexico to draw attention to rising cases of femicide uh, and the reports from places like Turkey and Mexico and even Nigeria is really, really um, heartbreaking. But how do you react um, to developments like this, a situation where women are perpetually, um, um, okay, can you still hear me please? Yes, I can. Yes. Let me take your reaction first okay. on the case of, of activism and what you have witnessed in this regard. Thank you very much. I think I agree with um, the other panelists you know, by saying that gender violence is universal. Um, it cuts across all countries, all societies, and women, you know, everywhere. But you, you were specific about Nigeria. You started off by talking about the um, WHO statistics on increase in gender violence. But I'm going to just mention even the United Nations um, recent research publication um, revealed that a total of 11,200 rape cases, including children, were raped in Nigeria in 2020. So gender violence is prevalent in Nigeria. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. So gender violence is prevalent in Nigeria. And um, the, let's even be more specific because I live in Lagos. And um, the Lagos state-run domestic and gender violence response team have been inundated with increased reports of sexual and domestic violence since the COVID-19 lockdown in March, 2020. And um, let me just reel out some statistics there. According to the available data, there's been a 60% increase in domestic violence, 
30% increase in sexual violence and 10% increase in physical child abuse. So there is a problem in Nigeria, you know, sexual violence is on the increase and despite the growing campaign against it. Having worked in the nonprofit sector all my life, I know I've worked with several NGOs that are set up, you know, to work against gender violence and violence against women over the years. And I, they're doing an amazing job, but so much more um, needs to be done. The Nigerian society is patriarchal and enabling. It's a male-dominated society. It's the truth. That's where we are, where we live. That's what it is. And then when you add stigmatization that encourages fear and silence, then you have a big problem. So um, I, I'm just putting things in perspective. And that is the reality. Um, uh, one of the panelists spoke about the boy child, you know, the men. You know, we really need to focus and look there. We also, also have to look at the ability to get help, to ask for help and to get the support. Because um, that's another challenge that we have when we talk about getting help. In Nigeria, you, you, the first thing they tell you is, oh, pray about it. You know, go to church and pray about it. And I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't work. It does work in its own way. But there are professionals that have been trained to help, help you deal with the aftermath of the various kinds of violence, you know, gender violence that we have. And so, you know, we have to remove the stigmatization and um, the fear of, of, of that. And I think that is happening with COVID-19 and, um, you know, there are a lot of people now talking about getting help. There are lots of discussions now about therapists. It's now becoming an open conversation, not as open as it should be, but it's happening, you know. Um, so I, Basically, I think that's my stand. I think there's a lot more work to be done. We need to get women to speak up. We need the help. We need to make the help more accessible and affordable. Um, we need to support one another. So when I, when I get a topic like when women stop crying, um, it's a bit disturbing. It's disturbing for me because crying is actually therapeutic yeah. for women. You know, crying is therapeutic for women. Women cry. We cry when we are happy. We cry when we are sad. We even cry in support of our friends. We are not even sure why they are crying. <laughs> so that's, that's the reality. So when you get to a stage where you shut down, you have detached, you are avoiding your emotions, it's, it's, it's in itself a problem. It's a problem. And so we need to get women to not just pick up, we need to get them the help they need. And we need to make them understand there's nothing really wrong with being vulnerable. I know you've been in a situation and you've cried and cried and cried and it's nothing changes and you say to yourself, I'm not gonna cry anymore, you know, that it makes sense. But um, we have to make sure we look at the mental health of, the, of women, we are, they need help. Uh, in, 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 in Nigeria, you know, crying, cry, not crying is like a mask. 
And I want to finally say this, um, you know, sometimes as parents and caregivers, we have to be careful how we raise our kids. Because in Nigeria, you hear, when you're beating your child and you hear things like, if I see you cry, if I see you cry, you know? So from a young age, you're you are making that child repress their emotions. Don't let me see a tear in your eye. And, I, and all that is be strong. You know, it's not necessary. It's really not necessary. Thank you very much. Let me stop here. I like, I like that you emphasized um, the need for women to get help. I, I'd just like you to talk briefly on how also we can, you know, break that wall of silence. For instance, you sampled the situation in Nigeria. The challenge isn't only about women not talking. The challenge is also, do they have faith in the system that they want to talk to? Do they have faith uh, that if they report an abuse, for instance, they are going to get help? Uh, many victims have been further victimized for coming out to speak their truth. So how do we break that wall of silence, especially for young girls who have been abused and molested? Um, let's say, for instance, by their caregivers and people who are considered to be more valuable than them in our society? I think we have to look a bit at policy. You know, we have to be, we have to look at policy. We have to look at um, how do we, how does the society help women? You know, how, I know of an instance of someone who was um, abused and ran to a police station in the middle of the night to get away from her abusive partner. And um, this was like maybe, I don't know how, but it was late, like maybe 2 a.m. or something. And the police were like, ah, you know, madam, this is husband, this is husband wife matter. We no fit do anything about it. Sorry for those who don't speak pidgin English on the panel. This is a husband and wife, this is a husband and wife affair. You know, we can't help you. And this is, this is what it is in Nigeria. They don't get involved. The police don't investigate. And it's a shame. And um, so I think it's, it's a bigger problem now. We have to now look at the state-run domestic, um, state-run um, domestic and gender violence um, response teams. What are they doing? How do we carry our law enforcement agents along to understand that this is indeed a crime and there's something that should be done about it. And don't look at it as, oh, this is a husband and wife personal matter. We can't get involved in it. And, and, and maybe that's for them. Is the reason for that is probably they themselves are abusing their wives and they don't think there's anything they're doing wrong. And that takes us back to what I said. We have a society that is actually very enabling. So it's a lot of work in Nigeria. It's a lot to be done. And we have to look at policy. We have to look at community advocacy. We have to look at you know, planning, management, shelters. You know, do we have enough shelters for women? that they can go to places where they can go. They can't run to the police station. So where do they go? How do we get them into a safe haven? How do we protect our women? So these are things that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I agree with you. Let's bring Dr. Amahin. I remember stumbling on a viral tweet once and someone asked, what, what would you do if there were no men in the world? And you can, I mean, you can imagine how the ladies reacted. Someone said I would just, um, I can walk back home at the middle of the night with my earplugs listening to music. I mean, the woman replying to that tweet created 
um, a perfect world that is peaceful, a situation where they are more yeah. secured and there is no, you know, sense of fear of being attacked. And it's pretty much amazing that most of the people who attack the women, after all, are men. Uh, uh, but I'd like you to speak to um, the need to create that um, culture of speaking out. So we've seen the Me Too campaign. Uh, we saw um, in the U.S., for instance, earlier this year, how a governor resigned after allegations of sex crimes were publicized. Um, that is a development that might take time to fly in developing countries like Nigeria. What do you think is the challenge with um, women being able to speak their truth in situations like this? Nifemi, thank you very much. And I think the ladies, the panelists have covered so much of what I would say. But here's the thing, when you live in a patriarchal society, and actually we live in a global patriarchal society, there are more men in control than they are women. Only 49 of the country, actually 50 now, we have one more that joined recently. Only 50 countries in the world have women, no, 51, because now we have Barbados and we have Norway. 51 have female-led governments. The rest are males. The men control the economy, the men control government, the men control policies. The men would, if we're lucky, give us a chance to sit at the table. Although I say, if they don't give you a seat, take your bench or just stand there and say what you need to say. But the point is this, until we have equality, until we have representation of women, in government, in offices, in schools, in all of those areas of policy making and decision making, it's not going to be equitable. The issues of women, whether it is violence, whether it's lack of funding for business, whether it's quality education, all of those things are hindered by men who are afraid or frightened by the potential that women will take their place and demand that the issues that concern them be a priority. Look how quickly we got vaccines. Uh, it concerned men. So everybody was rushing. We have to get this vaccine because we don't want to fall ill, blah, 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 blah. Incidentally, some of those vaccines were created by women. How much of that do we hear about it? But then we've got the shadow pandemic, which is the violence against women, which has gone on for eons. And to bring that kind of level of attention and funding and knowledge to the forefront does not happen. We have the cultural reasons, we have the religious reasons, we have the societal reasons why it's not happening. But women have to make it happen. And men men who care about the women in their lives have to also make this happen as well. They can't just sit back and say to their friends, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. No, you, not only should you not be doing it, I'm going to report you for doing it. Going to a police station and a woman being told is a husband and wife matter. I'm well aware of many of these because we've had a situation in the past where the woman contacted Live Abundantly to assist. And her fear was, she will be beaten even more by her husband and his family. 
And I had to place a call to the DPO and say, this is the situation. She is frightened. She's being beaten publicly in a marketplace and people are watching and doing nothing because it's a husband and wife quarreling. So there's need for advocacy. There's need for education. There's importance to be placed on educating our children, boys and girls from an early age to respect one another, to understand what the laws are, to understand what it means to violate another person's rights. That needs to be in the forefront. In Nigeria, the policies for children, child rights and violence against women, for, actually it's called violence against um, the Violence Act, violent, what's it called, VAP? Can't remember what it is, but I know what the acronym is. The whole idea is that the states should implement this. We know this story. And if I may, I don't have to go over the statistics. It's not implemented, particularly in the North. They have their reasons. They marry off the girls as soon as they, they reach puberty. And before you know it, they're dealing with um, childhood fistula because they've had children before their bodies were, were, were well-developed to have children. And before long, they've been passed off and another new one comes in. Talking about, we haven't even talked about human trafficking. That is a violation of women. And that is gender violence. We've been talking about rape and domestic violence. But what about human trafficking? It's huge. Nigeria is a source country. It's all over the place. But the amount of people that are dealing with violence these days, particularly women, is abhorrent. We need to address this issue. We need to do things from policies to um, to really trying the cases and bringing it to fruition where there is punishment. Very often they report and if they're lucky, it goes to court and then somehow it just dies. You, you don't even hear what happened. How many times have I asked, how many cases came through? They can tell you how many people they've arrested. They can tell you how many have gone to court, but they can't tell you how many were, <laughs> were tried and what the end result is. There's got to be accountability. Anywhere else in the world, there's accountability. But on this continent, in this country, it does not occur. And that has to be addressed if we're going to make inroads for equality. Because we can go to school, we can send our girls to school. In some cases, they finish secondary school and never get to university. But once they get to university and they get out of university, they now go to jobs and then they're dealing with harassment in jobs. They're dealing with people telling them that, you know, you have to sleep with me in order for me to give you a job. Or if you want advancement, or you, you're equally paired with another male um, colleague, but because he's a married man, he's going to get that position ahead of you. Because you may be married or you may be single, but. I mean, are you saying that a woman does not need her income and her career platform as, as equal to a man? It's very disconcerting, the things that are going on. So when we talk about violence against women, gender violence, we've got to include harassment. We've got to include human trafficking. We've got to include the whole spectrum of things that occur to continue to suppress women in one form or the other. That has to be addressed. At, at, some, at some point, and we have to start now, and we have to start at the school level. Let's start to educate our girls and boys about their rights, what is appropriate, how to treat another person, and how to live in synergy with others. Thank you. Well said, Dr. Amma, well said. I'm going to take a final round, and um, as we begin to explore 
um, the way forward. Dr. Manuel, um, as recent as last month, the issue of femicide, what they call the intentional murder of women, uh, is reported to be on the rise, intentionally killing women just because of their gender. Um, the challenge has been whether or not this has gotten a sense of global urgency. But please recommend for us the kind of educational tool that we must employ now. It would appear that a lot of education, a lot of awareness is required to, uh, I heard someone say that women are even smarter than men. I mean, it's, it's logical to put the smartest person in leadership position. After all, what we need is development. Uh, what kind of educational tool is required? Because more people are getting educated, but not many people are acknowledging these realities. Okay. Well, before I do that, there are a couple of things that I kind of want to go back and address that many times violence is about power, you know, and or overpowering. Also, sometimes people don't know they exhibit behaviors that they've learned or they've seen. And sometimes they may not know how to really treat someone. So I want us to that the men also need mental health. And we need to, they, they need, um, you know, the abusers um, and the victims, they both need to go to mental health. We also, I want us to talk about uplifting those couples and men who are doing um, the way that it should, because some, some people have never seen an example of, of what a couple should look like and what you know, the, you know, the, the love between a man and a woman and, and, you know, that, that wonderful synergy when they're working together and, and all of that. Some people have never seen it because they've never experienced it. They, their families didn't do that. And if you don't know what that looks like, many times we're mimicking what we saw or what we've experienced. So if your father and mother, you know, fought and your father beat your mother, then you would think that that's, that's the way to go. So I think it's education, it's um, on both sides, you know, it's, um, I think religion has some thing to do, you know, has a place also, because if you have, if you're religious, then there's just some things that you're not going to do. So, I, you know, that that's one thing. It's also um, mental health, education, um, all of those things. And then getting, showing people, this is, you know, th this is what a, a wholesome, um, you know, um, relationship should look like, should be like, not what they see on television, that's all fiction, but really in, in real life. Because um, when I'm around couples that really, are doing very well in, in, in having all of that and knowing how to argue constructively without going into violence. And, you know, it, 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 it helps me to understand how to, you know, um, develop that great relationship because I love my men. I'm sorry, I do. <laughs> and we, I, you know, so, um, you know, they're, they're all not, 
bad, but there are some horrible ones. And there's some horrible women that do horrible things to young women. You know, so uh, there's just such violence in the world, um, you know, and, you know, people don't have breaks. They don't have, you know, um, you know, wanting to hurt somebody, How, you know, th that that just shouldn't be in the world. And I know that's idealistic. Um, I think that um, education is always great. Um, being role models. Um, again, what I said in the beginning, letting having dialogues like this, but having young people and other people, you know, listening in and taking those gyms and, you know, and then after we have a talk or something, then to have a dialogue with them. And that's what I do with my young people. We, we talk about things, we dialogue, we walk through them, we provide them with strategies on and things like that. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I think mental health is, is one of the areas, teaching people how to deal with, with things, strategies on how to cope with your anger, how to cope with your body, how to cope with something. Um, and I don't know, just showing them uh, some relationships that are working. Absolutely, absolutely, Dr. Mato. Uh, Ms. King, you know, she talked about something very powerful there um modeling the right example the fact that not many people um uh have enough good examples to you know lead them aright particularly uh, when we talk about dealing um, well with the opposite sex um you look at the music videos today you look at the many celebrities um some of them now have been accused of um child sex sex slavery and things like that and these are the people who um, many of the young people follow, listen to, and who determine their style, their fashion, you know, their thinking and their mindset. How do you think that can drastically change? Hmm. Yes, I agree on an individual basis. There are good people, there are not so good people. But I think what we are talking about here is very institutional. Um, so for the UK, for example, in the UK, you, you won't, see a man beating a woman in the street because that won't be accepted. But what you do see, because um, you, you, you mentioned earlier, um, Nefemi, that, um, you know, that women need to speak out more. Women are speaking out, but they're not always believed. Um, so in cases of sexual violence, uh, I'll give an example. If a male is walking down the street, walking down central London, and another male comes from no one and slaps him or hits him or something, um, he will be done um, for assault, or if they're in a, you know, if they're even on a one-on-one. -on -one. Now, in the case of males and females, it's what they call he say, she says. So the first thing is the woman isn't believed. And then if she pursues it, so here we do have the laws in place, uh, but somehow she has to prove it. And then her character might come under the spotlight. So what we're talking about institutions, now I've heard, I'm sure you heard about the awful case where that policeman killed that woman who was simply walking home from a friend's house. He pulled her up. But they, it's now, it came out, I mean, after the fact, that he has been reported to the police station because he used to flash at women. 
So he's flashing at women and nothing was done. So I will, I, I, I'm more with Dr. Am on this one, that I think it's institutional and something has to be done. And I think the first step is to believe the person, to believe the victim. Um, because the, the, the first step is to not believe them. So, so I, I, feel, um, I feel very um, strongly about this, uh, 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 that it's, it's, it's more you know, institutional. And so something has to be done at a institutional level. Now you talk specifically about those videos, which you know, truly awful. Because when I was the, I used to travel a lot, and I used to go to the gym, and and you go in the gym, you know, the only sometimes the only woman, only black woman, and then they got this hip hop video of the screen. I mean, in the end, I just got the confidence to act for it to be switched to the news or something, because it is it is demeaning. And as Dr. Amma said that you know, in terms of um, trafficking of women, uh, Nigeria is indeed. Uh, a source country. The first time I heard about this, you know, about this Nigerian women in Italy, I was genuinely surprised. I didn't know where that came from, but you can understand it. So yes, it's all very well to say, oh yeah, there's some good men out there, but even good men can do better. Yes, um, I am lucky enough to have my two nephews with me, but when they first came, if, came to me, because you know, they're studying in the UK now, and I was, uh, especially with lockdown, you know, dishing out what, what our chores should be. My younger nephew, his first reaction was, you expect me to do dishes? Now, I don't know if two of us here, if he's not doing dishes, I'm doing everything else, you know. So, you know, I mean, we got over that, but even with good people, there is a, a, a mindset Maybe because the way we treat them as children, maybe, as you said, because the images they see on videos, that needs to be changed, even with good people. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, let's move on very quickly. Um, we're rounding off now. She, she talked about believing the victim. Um, and I agree. But I'm also concerned about that because... Um, there have been confirmed cases where certain men have been wrongly accused. Uh, yeah. A situation where a man builds a career for decades and then a woman shows up with um, some sorts of allegations. If there are no systems on ground to prove that these allegations are true, we might also be setting the society up for a grave disaster. Recall the American president who initially denied having um, any sexual relations with a particular lady. And then she showed up with a cloth with a semen on it. Yes. So I have two young daughters and I do not foresee them being molested, but I intend training them up to gather evidence in the face of molestation because it's the only way to fly in the court of law. Um, if you're accusing someone to have done this or that, um, I. Do you think, uh, let me just stay with Miss King for a while. Do you think- No, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. So if I come to say, oh, I've been assaulted by someone, I want the police to investigate it. Like you said, to get, not just take my word for it, but to investigate it. But what happens if I go and I said, I, you're not believed. So if you're not believed, the investigation doesn't start. 
So uh, you're quite right with the, the, and you know, and the thing about the Monica Slomski case, even though she was the victim, because I said to people, you know, she was like 19, 20 or at the time. I mean, he was, as we say in the Caribbean, a big hard Batman. He was mature. He was president. He was experienced. But to this day, she is the one who, you know, we don't call it the Clinton scandal or anything. So he got away with it. But but you're right. She wasn't believed. She came up with evidence. But if you are you go to make the thing, you want the police to do a proper investigation, not simply to take your word, but for them to do the investigation, they have to believe that what you're saying is true. But if they don't believe you at all, they're not going to investigate. And that is the difference. Absolutely. I agree with you. Let's get to Mrs. Aziashi. I'd like to have your closing remarks on this particular one. Um, I'm getting a lot of, um, I'm getting the sense that a lot of work has to be done at the family level, the way we raise our children, particularly the boy child, um, you know, to think differently and not to necessarily think that they are superior, that they can do and undo uh, just because they are men or you know, stuffs like that. But talk to us about uh, the kind of um, mindset change that must begin even at the home front. I have to put on your mic. Sorry about that. I said that's really key because um, the male child is like very important in the Nigerian society. You see women <clears throat> having seven girls, eight girls, while they're still trying to have that boy child even if it's detrimental to their health even if their doctors have said you can't have any more kids and they're there popping out girls and looking for that boy so the male child is very important you know in the Nigerian society but we have a lot of work to do with um with our boys um one of the pan um, um Dr. Manuel spoke about you know breaking the cycle you know you're raised in a home an abusive home and you grow up and you think that is it, that is normal. So the parents, I'm going back to parents, you know, we, parents need to, to get help. You know, there's nothing normal about being physically, emotionally or verbally abusive. And, and if you are having that conversation with your partner and the partner is thinking it's normal, then if he doesn't get help, you have to get help to protect yourself. And you also have to ensure that your children uh, are protected and also get help. We need to break the cycle. The same, yeah. way, the same way you are sick and you go to a doctor, the same way you have a mental health problem, you go to a therapist. There should yeah. be no, there should be, you can't, you can't, there should be no stigma to that. You know, the, you go to a therapist the same way. And so we should see it like, you should see it just the same way. Um, so I, I believe strongly that there's a lot of work to be done with the, with the boy child. I believe that the men should be more open to help. I think we should have more men support groups. I think men should, we should have men talk to men about getting help. It's a bit difficult for us as women to convince them. Well, if they hear it from their own friends and from people they know of, you know, these conversations, except having those kind of conversations. Um, so, I mean, for me, that's it. I just want to talk a bit about the evidence. 
I think you know social media has a lot of its um, issues and challenges in the world today, but it's also a good thing. With social media now, I know so many cases of abuse are reported. Uh, and so I, I would say that is what other evidence is there in having a video. I know I watched a video recently of an American um, NFL player was um, 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 attacking his girlfriend in their flat. He didn't realize she had a CCTV camera. And he was throwing this little girl, I'm saying little because you know what an NFL player looks like, they're huge. And he was flinging this girl across this room. She was like a rag doll. And, and everything was caught on camera. When he realized that, he ran away. And I don't know if they found him because I mean, they, I mean American law, that's nothing less than 15 years in jail. So, I mean, social media is there too. Those videos are there, you know. Um, text messages are there. So there's evidence. If you really, really want evidence, we can get the evidence. You just have to be sure and get the evidence, you know, to get, if you need that, to get the help that, that you need. Um, so I, I think I'll end there. I think we should remove the shame that surrounds being vulnerable. You know, mm -hmm. let's remove that shame that surrounds the whole idea of being vulnerable, you know. Open up, you know, get help. Most of, in Nigeria, many, many kids school abroad. So the conversation about mental health is now an open conversation that parents are having on the dinner table with their children, which didn't happen before. Because these kids all school, um, all these kids all school abroad and they come back and they're having these conversations with them. And that's a good thing now. So these are conversations that children are having with their parents now openly, which what didn't happen before. So let's remove the shame surrounding being vulnerable. Let's pick up, let's get help. Crying is therapeutic. It is normal, it yeah. is human. Um, that's, how, that's how I'll end, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Ama, you agree with um, the panelists that we have to popularize the issue of mental health. The fact that um, if a man hits a woman, they should send him to the psychiatric hospital. I mean, uh, but that's, that's not common here. We don't even, I think we don't even understand that there's something terribly wrong about it. I'd like to have your closing remarks now. Well, here are my thoughts, and everyone has spoken so eloquently about this. The policies that are in place are there to protect women, children, the vulnerable, but they're not being implemented in the manner in which they should be. Impunity occurs, there's bias against women reporting and all of those things. We need to hold people accountable for their behaviors. In Nigeria, for example, incest will net you a lesser years in jail than if you were to rape a stranger. If your own father, uncle, brother can violate you and get away with it, or go to prison and come out and you're still a child, you're living in fear. The level of fear that women live in, girls live in, is not, it's not, um, it's not okay, it, it, it is troubling, it is abhorrent, it is, 
it's it's unforgivable. It is unforgivable. We have to make a change. We know from figures that over 234 million women during the pandemic were assaulted by their partners, by their fathers, by their loved ones. Why? Why must women continue to cry if we can just teach our boys and our men to understand the rights of women, the right to be treated respectfully, and the right to just be themselves, to grow and develop and contribute to society. So on one hand, I'm glad that we're talking about this and I hope that it has some impact, but I do believe that we have to educate, we have to, ed we have to advocate, we have to put out better policies and implement and adhere to those policies. But more importantly, we have to start in the community, in the home, in the schools, at those levels where we can impact change to change the mindset. Because if we don't, this is going to continue to be on the increase. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And women must take their benches, their seats, or just stand at the table and demand that these issues be addressed by all men and women. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Amma. A big thank you everyone for being part of this conversation. Dr. Brenda Manuel, Administrator, Student Unit, Los Angeles Unified School District. Ms. Brenda King, MBE, Trustee for the ACT Diversity. Mrs. Ngozi AZ Ash, Executive Director, Development Alternatives and Resource Center. And now Trustee, Leave Abundantly. Thank you, Dr. Amma, Founder and Executive Director, Leave Abundantly. I am so grateful for all of your contribution on this podcast today. I hope that this um, conversation um, opens up the mind of people to understanding uh, what to do differently. And also, we're going to continue this conversation even beyond the 16 days of activism. Thank you, ladies, for being part of this podcast. I am Nifa Good to see you some other time soon. Thank you Thank so you much. Everyone. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast and welcome your comments, insights, and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness, and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the, the mindset, mindset for a better, better global society. society.